0: Well, praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. So, so good to be with all of you here this morning. Uh, We are going to continue our look in the book of Acts, the 10th chapter. We're going to be looking at the second half of verse 23 all the way to the end of this chapter. But I'm actually going to ask you to turn now to John chapter 10. John 10 for our scripture reading this morning. John 10... And we'll look at verses 1 through 16. If you'd please stand with me for the reading of God's word. This is God's word and the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. Who says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief, and a robber. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. Lord, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for all the blessings you've already put in it, and just the ability to even gather together, singing praises to your holy name. You are worthy of our praise, and it's a delight to be able to give it to you this morning. So, be glorified in our time, be glorified by the reading of your word, be glorified by the ongoing praise and worship that's going on in our hearts as we hear this wonderful truth from your wonderful scriptures. We love you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, go back to Acts chapter 10 here. It'll be really important for us to uh, provide some context and background for this message, for our passage. If you were with us last week, you'll remember we began looking into this narrative account concerning the providential encounter between a Roman centurion named Cornelius and the apostle Peter. Peter and Cornelius, one man a Jew, one man a Gentile, but each man had received a special revelation from God. Cornelius in the form of an angel, and Peter in the form of something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in this sheet, you'll remember, were all kinds of animals and reptiles and Birds of the air, wild beasts, creeping things. And there came a voice to him and says, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But what did Peter say? By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice said, What God has made clean, do not call common. We looked ahead at the unfolding of this narrative to find out that Peter would initially be perplexed at this vision, but the meaning would soon be made perfectly clear, and that by the very Spirit of God who had been talking with him on this rooftop in Joppa. The animals on this sheet, along with the pronouncement of God concerning their cleanliness, had not only symbolically demonstrated the abolition or abrogation of the dietary and ceremonial laws of Moses, but it revealed to Peter and, and ultimately all Jewish believers in the church at that time that as a result of the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary, uh, that a Gentile, uh, a non-Jew may now enter into the church and experience fellowship with the people of God without going through the gate of Judaism. That's what this was all about. They did not have to come to Christ through Judaism, through a twisted and perverted Judaism which distorted God's law, which perverted God's law and deemed Gentile men and women themselves to be unclean. And how did they pervert this law? Well, one major way was through the dietary laws laid out in Leviticus chapter 11 you remember, God says through Moses, these animals are clean. Whatever parts the hoof uh, is cloven-footed and chews the cud. You can eat these because they're clean. Cattle, deer, goats, sheep, stuff like that. These foods are unclean. If they part the hoof, if they don't chew the cud, and the pigs, cats, dogs, lizards, etc., some type of birds, don't eat these animals. It says, don't don't touch their carcasses. In fact... Moses says, don't even touch anyone who has touched them or you'll be unclean. If an animal touches your clothes, wash them. They're unclean. If one of these animals touches your bowls or cups, break them. Toss them. They're unclean. Well, the the Jews then, especially these uh, post-exile, those who were the post-exile and post-Babylonian captivity, would take those already strict dietary laws and ceremonial laws And they would begin to add their own laws, like a fence around those laws, their own laws and their own traditions to protect people from even getting close to disobeying the Lord again. They were terrified of going back into exile or back into captivity, so they said, we're not even going to get close to these laws. So again, they're building these fences around the actual law, and this was the thinking then. Well since the Gentiles are under our law and they're touching these things all the time, we must treat them as if they themselves are unclean or they themselves are unacceptable to God. And then that just became the norm. Non-Jews were unclean. Non-Jews were unacceptable in the eyes of God. They were even considered to be an abomination to God. So they said, don't touch them. Don't associate with them. Don't touch anything that they have touched, or you will become unclean. Don't even invite them to your home. And certainly, certainly don't go into their home. They're unclean, they're detestable to God. Don't even look at them if you don't have to. That was the thinking, that was rabbinical Judaism. Uh, One commentator noted "It, it was very common for a Jewish man to begin the day with a prayer thanking God that he was not a slave, a woman, or a Gentile. A basic part of the Jewish religion in the days of the New Testament was an oath that promised that one would never help a Gentile under any circumstances. Such as giving directions if they were asked, but it, it even went as far as refusing to help a Gentile woman at the time of her greatest need, when she was giving birth, because the result would only be to bring another Gentile into the world. If a Jew married a Gentile, the Jewish community would have a funeral for the Jew and consider them dead. It was thought that to even enter the house of a Gentile made a Jew unclean and unacceptable before God. And guess who grew up and spent the majority of his life thinking this was the norm and that these regulations and teachings had come from God? Peter. That's right. Peter. That's what he'd always known. That's how he'd always lived. And, And so this vision specifically for Peter was God saying, No, no, no. These animals are now clean. I have made them clean. And guess what that means, Peter? It means the people who are handling and maybe even eating these animals, the same people that your religious leaders have deemed to be unclean, well, if the animals they handle are no longer unclean, guess what that means? It means you no longer have any reason or any excuse to call these people unclean yourself. I have made them clean. And guess what else? There's a few of them waiting down for you at the bottom of the stairs. So go talk to them. That's what the Spirit said. These these three men are down there. They're asking for you. Now, Peter, don't consider them to be common or unclean. Go with them, the Spirit said, making no distinction. No distinction. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they told him, right? So... He invited them in to be his guests. And that's where we left off last week. Peter invites these guys in. Remember, it was about noon when Peter had this uh, rooftop vision, which means they had all afternoon together. They had all evening together. They were eating together, talking together, sleeping. Uh, Luke says they don't even leave till the next day, which means they stayed the night. Because Peter invited them in to be his guests. So that's the background. That's the background. Here's what we're going to look at in our text today, starting in verse 23b. First, uh, the Caesarean transformation. And we're not talking about Cornelius here. Second, the Caesarean proclamation. As Peter begins telling these Gentile men and women the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, Caesarean confirmation as the Spirit of God himself doesn't even allow Peter to make it out of his introduction before he falls upon and and dwells these new believers, both sealing them for eternal life, joining them together to the body of Christ. Let's look first at this transformation. Again, Luke writes in verse 23, The next day he rose and went with them, went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. Okay, now this is the third day, okay? This is day three in the narrative. Remember, day one, Cornelius talks with an angel, and and the angel says, send somebody to get uh, Peter in Joppa. Day two, Peter's up on the housetop praying. He sees the vision. The three guys show up, and Peter invites them in to stay the night in Joppa. The next day, day three, they get up and they head to Caesarea. Peter and these three soldiers and some of the brothers. That's what it says. Now, who are these guys? Who are the brothers? Well, Peter goes on to tell us in chapter 11, verse 12. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. Six brothers, six brothers. Jewish believers, six Jewish Christians accompanied Peter. But why? Well, they went to act as witnesses. They were witnesses to this monumentally significant occasion. This was incredible. This was unthinkable. Uh, Peter's traveling 30 miles up coast with these Gentile men to the house of another Gentile man, a Roman centurion at that, a commander, and Peter knows it. And he doesn't want to be accosted and criticized by the brothers back home in Jerusalem for, for going rogue and going off with these men. So he says, I'm mean, going to need some backup here. I need some witnesses. He wanted to bring these guys to vouch for him. And we'll see. That's exactly what happened. The brothers back home say, what were you thinking? And he says, well, this whole thing was of the Lord. These guys can tell you. They were there. So they were witnesses. So picture it. Here are now these 10 guys. Peter, the three Romans, six Jewish Christians. They're going up north uh, to Caesarea. And I love this. Look what Luke says in verse 24. On the following day, that's day four, right? On the following day, they entered Caesarea. And look at this. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and his close friends. Cornelius, this uh, powerful, commanding, authoritative, respected, universally admired centurion, was expecting them. He was looking forward to seeing them. He was literally eagerly anticipating their arrival. He wants to meet this Simon called Peter who the angel said would come and give him a message, a message having to do with his prayers which had ascended to God. He wanted to see this Peter. Cornelius couldn't wait until they got there, he was, he was chomping at the bit to meet with Peter. And I can understand that, right? Any of us would feel the same way. He's even invited his friends, Luke says, his relatives. This tells us he's not ashamed of what he had been praying for in the past. Not only was he not ashamed, he wanted those closest to them to hear the words of Simon Peter as well. And this is a great example for us. So look at Cornelius the Evangelist here. I can hear him saying, you got to get over here, Ma. Listen, I know this is going to sound crazy, okay? but an angel came to me and told me there was this guy from Joppa named Simon Peter and he's going to come and deliver a message from God. Come over and hear it. I've been praying. Come on, sis. Come on, cousin. Come on, buddy. Just come over to my place. We'll have some food. We'll see what this guy has to say. He wants his friends and family to hear about the good news. And I'd ask, are we doing the same with our friends and family? Are we doing the same thing with our loved ones? Are we eager to tell them the good news that's been revealed to us? Are we inviting them to church where we know the gospel and the word will be preached? And I know that can be intimidating for people to come into church. I know that. But are we inviting them to our houses or to our home groups? Are, are we talking continually about such a great salvation? Uh, Cornelius sincerely loved these people and he wanted them to hear this Jewish man, what this Jewish man had to say about his God as well. This is an evangelist. So that's Cornelius, but I want to shift our focus and our attention back to Peter for now. Now watch this in verse 25. Something amazing happens in verse 25. Those three opening words there. When Peter entered. That's a big statement in itself. When Peter entered. When Peter entered what? When he entered the house of this Gentile. Remember, the six guys who were with him, they had not seen this vision. Uh, Peter saw it, no doubt told them about it. Uh, But still, his entering a Gentile's house certainly would have made these men uncomfortable. They may have even hesitated to go in themselves. They might have said, Peter, what are you doing? Why are you going into that house? You're going to be unclean. You'll be unclean. Remember, that was the mentality. That was the mindset at this point, even for Jewish Christians. But Luke says, Peter entered. When he entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Can you imagine that? But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. You've got to remember, Cornelius, he was used to bowing down to men at this time in history. He had Caesar worship. He's probably bowed down a thousand times to Caesar because he thought that they were gods. Though he he was a God fearing man himself, he had a reverential awe for the God of Israel. He he still bowed down to Caesar over and over and over again. But Peter comes in and says, No, get up, man. I'm just a man myself. I don't want your worship because I'm not worthy of your worship. A lot of so-called preachers in America who should take notes right now from the from Peter. I'm not worthy of your worship. Stand up, for I too am a man, Peter says. You know, I couldn't help but wonder, this made me wonder, uh, what Peter would say to folks who go to St. Peter's Basilica in Rome to pray to his statue as they walk by and kiss his feet. Well, I know what he'd say. He'd probably say the same thing he said to Cornelius. Get up. Stop grabbing my foot. Stop kissing my feet. What in the world are you doing? That doesn't even look like me, by the way. Looks like some old white guy. Some kids are going to sit on my lap and tell me how good they were this year. Get up. Stop touching the foot of that statue. It's ridiculous. Paul and Barnabas said the same thing in Lystra, right? When the people there tried to worship them. The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men, they said. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. But what did they say? They said, men, why are you doing these things? Well, we are also of men. We are also men of like nature with you. That's a big statement in itself. The Pharisee of Pharisees, we're just like you. It's broken through by this point. We are also men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things, like we just saw, Turn from these vain things, turn to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Even the holy angels will go on to say, don't bow down to me, John. Don't bow down to me, don't worship me. There is only one who is worthy of your worship and that is the almighty God, the creator and sustainer of the heavens and the earth. So Peter grabs him, again, touching him, touching this Gentile, lifts him up, says, don't worship me. Cornelius, He's breaking even more customs. He's growing. Verse 27 says, As he talked with him, he went in. He goes into another room. He went in and found many persons gathered. He said to these Gentiles, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone from another nation. Now, wait a second here. Unlawful? What is this unlawfulness? Is, was that from God or from man? What's well, from man? Yeah, he's talking about the oral laws and traditions of Judaism, not the law of God. That's very important now and will continue to be important in the coming chapters. You yourself know, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should call, not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I ask you then, why did you send for me? He's saying, so here I am. I'm in your house. I'm I'm in this room with you people. I'm going to get all kinds of grief from the guys back home here. But the Spirit told me to come, so I came. But he didn't exactly tell me why. I don't know why. So somebody, please tell me, what am I doing in this room? What am I doing here? And then Cornelius tells him, Verse 30, the providence of God. Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, your alms have been remembered before God. Send, therefore, to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Now look at this in your Bible, verse 35. Here's the Caesarean transformation. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know what that truly I understand means there? It means that the providential acts of God up to this point had begun, begun to dawn on Peter. Uh, the angel, the sheep, the, the spirit, the Roman guards, Cornelius. It's at this moment in this room full of Jews and Gentiles that Peter says, now I get it. Now I understand. Now this all makes perfect sense. God shows no partiality. He even told us. For the Lord your God is the God of God and Lord of Lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who does not show partiality. Who does not take a bribe. I wonder why the rabbis have been saying otherwise. Well, that's another story, Cornelius. We'll get to that later. The point is, God is not prejudiced. He doesn't show favorites. He doesn't take face, is the expression, meaning he's no acceptor or respecter of one's person or character. In other words, he doesn't look at people's appearance or their circumstances and see how they are before he decides how he's going to treat them. Does that make sense? He doesn't look on the outside like we do to determine how he's going to then treat them. That's what it means. And why not? Because in his eyes, we're all the same. There is none who does good. No, not even one. So how then does he accept them? On what basis? Well, he has to cleanse them and accept them according to the work that he has done in them. Tell me, why did he choose Israel? Because they were great Because they were the only ones who accepted his revelation and paid attention to him? Because they were smart? Because they were so holy? Because they were so mighty and many in number? No, it was not because you were more in number than any of the other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all people, Deuteronomy 7. So why? Well, I hate to use such sophisticated theological terms here, but because he felt like it. Our Lord is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases, Psalm 115 says. He does all that he pleases to accomplish all of his purposes. He chose them through no doing of their own. He didn't look at them and say, wow, this is a great people. I could really benefit from their knowing me. No, no, he said, I'll take that one. But he knew it from eternity past, didn't he? I'll take that one. My salvation and plan of redemption will come through them. I choose this guy. Hey, Abraham, come over here. And then he makes a unilateral covenant with him. I will, I will, I will, I will. One that included blessing the, the, blessing the extended people beyond the, their people group, even to the nations of the earth. The other sheep that Jesus referred to in our opening text. And it's the same way for Christians, right? It's the same way for believers, I don't know why he chooses people for salvation. I don't know. I don't know why he chooses people for salvation other than to say it's only by his amazing grace as nobody, not a single person, deserves it. None of us deserved it. Good night. I love what Henry Ironside said when his father died. He said this passage was running through his father's mind and he, he kept repeating a great sheet and, and wild beasts and and, and, he, and he kept saying it over a great sheet and wild beasts and, and he says a friend w- leaned over and whispered in his ears John it says creeping things and he says oh yes creeping things that's me that's how I got in without acts chapter 10 without this uh, transformation of peter without a change in apostolic attitudes none of us would have heard the gospel and the love of the lord jesus christ it's apostolic transformation uh, peter this apostle of the lord jesus christ learned this truth at this very moment he he was converted in a sense he was converted from judaist christianity which says that men and women had to come become jews and purify themselves to come to christ to true and distinctionless and non-preferential jew and greek made into one people biblical christianity he's been converted here they don't have to be purified to come to christ it's biblical christianity where there is no partiality it's the same for us how could we dare how could we dare Look at a person because of their skin color and say that we can't share the good news of Christ. Shame on us. And shame on them if they do the same. And we can't look preferentially on other people because of their socioeconomic status or because they're poor. We can't show preference and give them the better seats in church. We cannot do it. Shame on us if we do it. We have to be converted. That's what Peter is saying here. That's what the word is saying here this morning. No partiality. No distinction. Where anyone, Jew or Gentile, who fears God reverentially and does what is right is acceptable to God. What is doing what is right? Believing in in the gospel. Believing in the gospel of his perfect son, his sinless son, which we'll see here in a moment. Peter, he's growing. Oh, what a lesson this is for us. What an encouragement this this should be for us. We're not perfect. We're growing. Peter's Growing up, right before our very eyes, this apostle, this great apostle, and and these barriers which were erected by a distorted view of God's law have been demolished. They've been broken down, and he gets it. He gets Jesus' words from John chapter 10. I have other sheep who are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. One flock, not two flocks. He finally gets it. So he does here what he did for the folks at Pentecost. He preaches the gospel. He heralds the gospel without distinction. The foundational, fundamental, non-negotiable truths of the gospel. And, and so he's getting ready, right? He's getting all charged up for the sermon. He's stretching. He, he might be there all night. He can't wait to tell him about how this all makes sense to him now. He can't wait to tell him about all Jesus' encounters with the Samaritans and even Gentiles in the past. And now... Jesus' words have taken on a whole new meaning for him. It's all clicking for him now. And look at his outline here in point two. Mind you, this is just the introduction to his sermon. I'll briefly comment as we go along. Look at verse 36. As for the word that God sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is is Lord of all. Stop right there. Jesus is Lord to the Jew first, came to Israel first, but now also to the Gentile, to the Greek. He is Lord of all who believe in him. And guess what? He is the Lord of all who do not believe in him. Nobody makes Jesus Lord of their lives. Jesus is Lord. He is the sovereign Lord of all creation. Peter says, as for this word, this good news of peace, peace with God, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Gala- excuse me, Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. You've all likely heard this, he's saying to these Gentiles. It probably had gotten around, the the Palestine there. Uh, You you all have likely heard this. John baptized in the wilderness, the heavens opened, the Spirit of God descended upon Jesus like a dove, and the Spirit empowered him. And he gave him the, the strength and the ability to heal the sick, to give sight to the blind, to give ears to the deaf, to give legs to the lame. And to deliver people from the bondage of their sin, slavery to their own sin nature. He delivered them. To set them free from the bondage of the devil. He bound the strong man. He plundered the goods of the strong man, which were the souls of men. Praise the Lord. And Peter says we are all witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. We saw it, he says, with our own eyes. We saw this. But, in verse 39, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. They hung him on a tree, on a Roman cross. And God told us that anyone who is hung on a tree is cursed. Deuteronomy 21, Jesus became a curse on that tree, that Roman tree. Both the Jews and the Gentiles hung him there, but ultimately God hung him on that tree. Ultimately God made him to be a curse for us. We know Paul would go on to tell the church in Galatia, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Why? So that In Christ, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. It was the will of the Father to crush the Son. It was the will of the Father to hang His Son on that tree to take our place. However, Peter says in verse 40, it was also the will of the Father to raise Him on the third day made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Peter says we saw him. He, he rose, signifying that the father had accepted the sacrifice, that the sin of all who would believe was poured out upon his son as a perfect substitute, a perfect Penal substitutionary atonement that had appeased the righteous wrath of God toward divine lawbreakers once and for all time, and we bear witness to this bodily resurrection. He ate with us. We saw the guy eating. He drank with us. He he taught us, instructed us. He gave us a great commission. Verse forty-two. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he's the one appointed by God. To judge the living and the dead. Do you know that? It means he's not only Lord. Whether you acknowledge him as Lord or not, he's not only Messiah, he's not only the anointed of God, not only did he live a perfect, sinless, spotless life, not only was he crucified, not only did he become a curse on that tree so that his people would not be cursed, not only was he triumphantly raised from the dead, not only is he alive right now, sovereignly ruling and reigning from the right hand of the Father in the hearts of those who are his, but he will, in fact, judge all men and women who have ever lived, both Jew and And Gentile. As has been said, Jesus is either your savior or your sentencer. Jesus is either your savior or your sentencer. He's the dividing line of every man's eternal destiny. Either of eternal forgiveness or eternal judgment. Jesus himself will judge everyone who has ever lived. Jesus. As the hymn writer said, what will you do with Jesus? Neutral, you cannot be. Someday your heart will be asking, what will he do with me? So, mock Jesus if you will. Muslim. Nobody. Nobody is able to escape judgment. Uh, Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed for man to die once. Then comes the judgment. It's appointed. It's set. It's done. Everybody will be judged. So, So Peter tells these Gentiles, he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he, the same Jesus Christ, is the one appointed by God To judge the living and the dead. Who are the living? Verse 43 Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. They live spiritually forever. Eternal life, sins washed in the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, reconciled to a holy God. They live. Who are the dead? Those who reject this free gift of salvation, those whose transgressions are not washed in the blood, whose trans- transgressions are not forgiven, those who are not reconciled to a holy God but will instead spend their eternity apart from his love, apart from even the common graces that we enjoy in this life today, they will be apart from all of the good. Things that even unbelievers get to experience. Those who will spend their eternity spiritually dead under his righteous wrath and condemnation forever and ever. That's just what the Bible says. Notice Peter says in verse 43, and Jesus says, you know, Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven. Called it a place of outer darkness where the fire is not quenched and the worm does not die, a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'm just telling you, that's what the scriptures say. Notice what Peter says in verse 43 the prophets bear witness. Now, that may not mean much to you, Gentiles here in this room, Cornelius, but understand this our prophets spoke for God, like that angel. And they, they still speak for God. That's what he means by the prophets bear witness. That's why he didn't say the prophets bore witness. He said they bear witness. They are still actively bearing witness. Even today, his word is living and active. If you turn over here, they're bearing witness. And they're bearing witness about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's active, sharper than any two-edged sword. They bear witness to this reality that peace with a holy God that Forgiveness from a holy God, eternal life with a holy God, comes through faith alone. It comes through faith alone in one name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Praise the Lord. Now, again, I'm confident that Peter could have gone all night long. He could have kept going until the the sun went down. But a long sermon wasn't necessary on this day, was it? There, there would be no young men falling out of the window on this sermon, on this occasion. Because Luke says in verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, right in the middle of his introduction, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. God says, all right, Peter, you told them what they needed to hear. You shared the good news. You've... You've faithfully given them the foundational truths of the gospel, and that's sufficient for now. They'll grow later. We can get into more detailed exposition, but you've given them the gospel. But you can stop. See, I've saved them through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the word and the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. They have a new spirit inside of them. I have called them to myself, and they have been brought into the sheepfold of Christ. They have been granted eternal life. While Peter was still preaching, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the word. One commentator said, like many preachers, Peter never actually finished his sermon. And that's true. I'm jealous of Peter, though, to be honest with you. I'd wish the same thing would happen right now. How great would it be if the Spirit would do something similar this morning at Lakewood as the good shepherd is calling his sheep to himself maybe he is. Perhaps he is. I'll just ask you, do you hear his voice through his word this morning? Do you you hear the good news of the gospel which says Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners like you, like me? Do Do you hear that word forgiveness and realize what it means? to have peace with God to have peace with your creator to have all of your sin all of your transgressing against the holy God completely wiped away completely cleansed do you know what, what that means peace with God forgiveness of every sin past, present, and even sins you haven't even done yet which you will and I will true peace that's available true peace with god it's available to all who would believe that he sent his son into this world to save sinners who confess with their mouth that jesus is lord believe in their heart that god raised him from the dead do you hear the voice of your shepherd beckoning you to come to him this morning His sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Do you hear the voice of Jesus this morning through his word? Do you hear it? Jesus, who said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. There will be one flock, one shepherd. Do you know your shepherd? Who is shepherding your soul this morning? The culture or the Christ? You can leave this place confident today. He will save you right now, if you would but believe in this gospel that we just heard from Peter. Recognize your absolute inability to save yourself. It will never happen. It's not going to happen. Believe on Christ and you will be saved from the eternal condemnation of your Father. Flee from the wrath to come. Flee! flee to the sun, believe the words of the sun. These Gentile men and women were saved. All these men and women, they were indwelled permanently with the very Holy Spirit of God himself in that room, just like the Jews were in Acts chapter 2. In fact, this has been called the Gentile Pentecost. They even spoke in tongues, known languages, but languages they had never learned before, which at that time was confirmation and affirmation that this miracle had indeed taken place in their lives. And then look there in verse 44. Uh, Luke says, the believers from among the circumcised, those six guys who had come with Peter, those six witnesses, they were amazed. They were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. And look what Peter says in verse 47. He says, can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? All these words, all these phrases are very important. Just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. I believe this command there is Peter commanding these same Jewish Christians who are with him to go and baptize in water these new Gentile believers. He says, you guys, go, go on over there. Let's start baptizing them. Finally, verse 48 says, Then they asked Peter to remain for some days. Some days. Do you see the significance of this chapter here in Acts? Do you see the walls and the barriers being brought down in this chapter? There is no distinction. There is no partiality when it comes to salvation. Notice, none of these guys had to get circumcised, did they? Before the Holy Spirit fell on them. None of these people had to be baptized into Judaism. That was common in those days, by the way. Gentiles were baptized in water when they became Jewish proselytes or converts. It was a baptism of purification and cleansing that they had to go through to become uh, a Jew. When John came into town as Christ herald, he said, you know what? You Jews need to be baptized as well. Prepare yourselves for who's coming. I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel, he on whom the Spirit descends, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain. This is he who baptizes not with water, but by the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. These men and women, these Gentiles, who 24 hours earlier would have been referred to as dogs by many of these same Jews, were immersed first and permanently with the Holy Spirit of God, saved by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, and then symbolically immersed in the water, publicly identifying with their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And thus we see that salvation is truly by grace alone, through faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, not baptism, not circumcision. It's not based on what we do, and it's not based on what we do not do. It's not based on our bloodline or our lineage. It's not based on our good deeds outweighing our bad deeds. It's not through our good works. It's not through our church membership or our church involvement. You know, I didn't see anywhere in this text where Cornelius and his friends or family walked an aisle. Did you? I didn't see that there. I didn't see where they raised their hand. Turn the lights down low so nobody has to see you. Raising your hand. I didn't see them signing some card. Peter, here, I got these cards here. I just got them from the Galilee Press. Sign these. I didn't see them throw a stick into a fire. I didn't see them even uh, pray a prayer. Did you see Peter leading these folks in in a prayer to accept Jesus into their hearts? I must have missed it. I didn't see them pledge to give to their local church or not say any cuss words or confess their sins to some priest or play with some little beads on a necklace or light a candle or pray toward Jerusalem five times a day. I didn't see it. I didn't see them get circumcised. I didn't see them say they were going to stop eating bacon. I didn't see them say they were going to stop or they were going to start wearing religious outfits or religious garments or promising to clean up their life. I'll just do better. That's not salvation. They didn't do any of that stuff. They just s- stood there. They just sat there. Whatever they were doing, they heard the gospel. They heard the word of God and they believed it. They heard the voice of their good shepherd and they came to him. And they went in and out and they found pasture, just like he said. And they had the spirit of of God dwelling on the inside of them and they are with him right now as we're speaking face to face. And if you believe his gospel, if you believe his word, you have his spirit dwelling on the inside of you as well and and, and one day you'll see him face to face along with all other men and women who believe without distinction, both Jew and Gentile. And and we will all be together for 10,000 times, 10,000 times, 10,000 years for all of eternity in the new heavens on the new earth, praising his holy name for what's been done for us through Jesus Christ. Christ bids you come to him today, if you never have. Come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory, great things he has done. Amen? Amen. Well, Lord willing, we'll finish up the narrative account next week. We'll see the final section of this great testimony of Christ creating in himself one new man in place of the two, making peace, killing the hostility, reconciling us both to God in one body through the cross. Would you pray with me now as Noel and the team come up to close us? We hope that you have been ministered to through this week's exposition of God's Word. If you would like more information about our church and services, please visit our website or email us at info, that's I-N-F-O, at lakewoodbiblechapel.org. Again, that's info, I-N-F-O, at lakewoodbiblechapel.org. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Lakewood Bible Chapel.